So we had some technical difficulties this past Sunday. We were unable to record the sermon portion of our Sunday service. And so we thought, hey, I can just make a video from home so that those of you who weren't able to attend in person can still get the message. And we, this past Sunday, we started a new sermon series that we have titled Commissioned. And in this sermon series, we are looking at Jesus's, what his words at the end of Matthew 28, which have become known as the Great Commission. Um, And the reason we're looking at Jesus's words is because the focus is on making disciples. And you may recall uh, months ago, I think it was in the summer, we uh, sent out a survey to our people at Abundant Life and asked them, you know, what, what are some sermon series that they needed um, in their journey right now? And what are some topics that they felt that we needed to cover to create clarity on in, in regards to? And so disciple making was one of those, one of those topics that was mentioned in the survey. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on with this message. I want to explain to you the what of disciple making and the why of disciple making. So first we're going to consider what exactly is a disciple. If we're going to make disciples, we have to know what we're trying to make, right? And then we'll we'll talk about why that is so important. So let me read to you Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Uh, Just some context here. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and this is after his resurrection. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. All right, so what is a disciple? Um, <laughs> You would think it's that you know defining what a disciple is would be rather easy uh, by just looking at how the term disciple is used um, in the Bible, but it's not as easy as you might think. Um, and and the reason is is because the well the basic the basic meaning of disciple the Greek word behind that word simply means learner. So. In, in the most basic sense, a disciple is simply a learner of somebody else. Now, where it gets confusing is that this word disciple in the Bible is used to describe both casual disciples of Jesus as well as committed learners of Jesus. And that's why it's, it's a little bit challenging to try and define exactly what a disciple is. Um, in John 6, for example, uh, Jesus had many disciples at this point, and once he started talking about that he was greater than Moses and that he was the real bread from heaven that gives real eternal life, and that the way to experience this ter- eternal life was by eating his body and drinking his blood, which was a metaphor to receive him by faith. 
um, especially receiving what he did through his death where his body was broken and his blood uh, was poured out um, for, for forgiveness and for healing and for salvation. Um, once Jesus started talking about those things, John 6 tells us that many of his disciples ceased to follow him. Um, they, they stopped. And that tells us those were the more casual disciples. They were just kind of following Jesus along, and yet they still hadn't really transferred their trust from themselves or something else to Jesus, right? Um, and then there's the 12 disciples, right? Um, these are the ones that Jesus worked with the most. He, had, he, he ministered to the crowds. He had the 72 that he discipled. He had the 12 um, and of course, he had his inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John. But the 12, I mean, think of the 12. Um, you would consider these committed disciples of Jesus, right? Uh, they, they professed and believed that Jesus was the Holy One. They believed that he really did have the words of eternal life. And yet, who was in the 12? Judas, right? Judas. What do you do with Judas? Um, Surely he wasn't um, committed to Jesus, even though he was amongst, you know, 11 other men who definitely were committed disciples of Jesus. Judas, as we know, he went to betray Jesus. And so if you're going to look at the uh, definition of, of what a disciple is and you're looking at how that word is used and who it describes, um, in the New Testament, uh, on the disciple definition spectrum, you've got Judas at one end, <laughs> you've got those casual disciples in the middle, and then you have the committed disciples at the, at the far other end, right? But the term disciple could be used to describe any one of those three groups. Now, obviously, it wasn't the casual disciples that Jesus was commanding his disciples to make, right? And surely he wasn't commanding them to make more, uh, you know, Judases, right? The world doesn't need any more of those. And that's why if, if you look at the scriptures, Jesus starts to delineate between a true disciple and a false disciple. He starts to distinguish between the two. For example, in John 8, verse 31... Jesus said to Jews that believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. To abide in Jesus' word, it means to continue to believe what he said and to live it out, walk in obedience to what he has commanded. So Jesus was making it clear that the way you tell a false, casual disciple from a true, genuine, committed disciple of Jesus is by, are they continuing to trust and obey? That's what true disciples do. Um, now, these are the sort of disciples that Jesus was asking his disciples to go and make in Matthew 28. Um, you'll find that. Check this out. So um, look at the way that Jesus described what a disciple is in Matthew 28, verses 16 through, through 20. Jesus says that a true disciple of Christ is a baptized disciple. So one mark of a true disciple is they are a baptized disciple. 
Now, to understand what Jesus meant by this, we, get, we, we need to think about what is baptism, right? What is baptism? On the surface, it's dunking somebody in the water and bringing them back out of it. But what are, what are the spiritual realities that the act of baptism is pointing to and symbolizing? Well, well first of all, um, when a person gets baptized, that act is, I like to think of it like a marriage ceremony, right? Think about a marriage ceremony. You have two people that are vowing to one another their un, um, their undying commitment to one another that there is getting, there's not going to be another human that they are more committed to that they no other human will have the allegiance that they're going to give and they're promising to their spouse on that day when they get married it is like. I am yours, you are mine, and there's going to be no other human relationship that's going to come close to, to what we have, right? We are committed. We're all in with each other. So when a person gets baptized, what they are de publicly declaring is the commitment that they've already made in their heart, that their allegiance belongs to Jesus. They are committed to him. He is their master. He is their Lord. There will be no other master. There will be no other Lord in their life except for Jesus. And so that's one of the things that, one of the spiritual realities that baptism points to is that person that's getting baptized, Jesus is their Lord, and they're making that public. Another thing that baptism, another spiritual reality that baptism points to is that a person is declaring that Jesus is their Savior when they get baptized. That when they put their faith in Jesus and responded to God's grace through Christ, through repentance and faith, an amazing miracle happened, right? Um, their old life, their old life apart from God that was full of sin and rebellion against Him, officially died. They have been united with Christ in his death. That's, that's when we believe in Jesus, we experience union with Jesus. And so what is true of Jesus becomes true of us. And so when somebody gets baptized, they're saying, look, through repentance and faith, I've become united to Christ. And his death is mine. That old sinful nature that used to be me, Jesus has killed it is dead it was killed on the cross and it was buried with jesus in the tomb what's more baptism not only displays and symbolizes and signifies that the old the old life that a person was living is now dead and buried but when they come up through the waters of baptism it is signaling that the moment they repented and believed in jesus they received a totally new nature. Uh, they, they became new at their very core. And the, 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 their dead heart has been resurrected to new life. And now they have been given a new nature that can walk and live differently. This is all what baptism symbolizes. And so... We can say, uh, we're starting to nail down a definition of what a disciple is. So, um, if Jesus says that a true disciple is a baptized disciple, 
He's not saying, and, and I don't know if I was clear enough on Sunday, he's not saying that the act of baptism saves you, that that ceremony saves you in some way. What he is saying is that if the spiritual realities that baptism points to is true of an individual, they're truly my disciple. Do they really know me through repentance and faith as Lord and Savior? Have they been united to me? A true disciple has been, right? And that's what baptism signifies. The second mark of a true disciple that Jesus mentions in Matthew 28, 16 through 20, is that a true disciple is learning to obey all that Jesus commanded. And let, before I talk uh, much about that, let, let me just tell you that there's a reason why Jesus put baptism before he put learning to obey all that I've commanded. Because in order for a person to walk in obedience to Jesus, <laughs> the spiritual realities that baptism points to and it symbolizes has to be true of an individual. Because if they still are operating with their old sinful nature, they're not going to even want to desire to truly obey Jesus' commands. And even if they somehow did, it wouldn't be out of the right motivations. And even if they were even doing, trying to obey, they wouldn't have the power to do it. Because our old nature is a slave to sin. Uh, we need a new nature. We need a deep change on the, at the very core of us that actually then propels us to live out Jesus' commands because we find them beautiful and we desire them. And we need the Holy Spirit to come and dwell inside of us to give us the power to actually obey all that Jesus commanded. That all happens um, the moment we repent and believe in Jesus. That, that's the miracle that happens. And baptism is a signal of that. And so that's, those spiritual realities have to be true if anybody's going to be able to even begin to obey all that Jesus commanded. Because the reality is we cannot serve two masters. And so Jesus, if Jesus really isn't our Lord, guess what? We're going to pick and choose what commands of Christ we're going to obey. Only the ones that are easy, only the commands of Christ that we believe are somehow advantageous uh, to us are we going to obey. But the minute um, it gets harder or difficult, we're not going to continue to obey. Um, because really what we're serving, if we're picking and choosing what commands of Christ we're going to obey, we're really serving ourselves. We're really our real masters. Jesus is not really our Lord. And so if we're going to obey his commands, it has to be settled in our minds and hearts that Jesus truly is our Lord. He knows what's best in every single aspect of life. And we are surrendered to doing what he wants done. And of course, he has to be our savior or we're not going to have the power, the Holy Spirit in us to live out those commands. We're not going to have a new nature that's even going to desire those commands. So if a true disciple um, is somebody that has given their life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, and now they're learning to obey all that Jesus commanded, uh, what exactly did Jesus command? And this is where uh, the Sermon on the Mount is very helpful. 
because at the beginning of Matthew, Jesus teaches this sermon, and really it encapsulates what his commands are and what life in the kingdom of God is meant to be. And so if we want to know what Jesus commanded, a good place to start is to look at what did he command in the Sermon on the Mount. Let me point some of those things out to you. Forgive those who have hurt you. Extend mercy and compassion to the hurting that moves you to action. Make peace where there is conflict. Humbly love others with this same intensity by which they love themselves or yourself. Do good to those that oppose you. Be, be faithful to your commitments. Engage in good works in order to bring glory to God and not to yourself. Be generous. Totally, totally depend on God through prayer. Enjoy an intimate relationship with God. Live a, live a joyful, non-anxious life. Have righteous anger that is controlled. Have an accurate view of, one's, of your shortcomings and flaws. Have immense gratitude for the grace that Christ has shown you. Be patient with the failings of others. These are all commands of Christ found in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, you can even summarize the Sermon on the Mount even further. Because really, what the Sermon on the Mount is doing is detailing how to actually obey the two greatest commandments. The first, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second, Jesus said is like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so now we can even nail down a, a, a more detailed definition of what a true disciple of Jesus is. A disciple of Christ is one that has the repentance and faith, responded to Christ's gracious offer to be their Lord and Savior, resulting in their reception of a new nature in the Holy Spirit, both of which enable them to have an ongoing interactive relationship with Jesus that empowers them to grow in obedience to all that Jesus commanded, namely to love God with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love their neighbor as themselves. This is a mouthful, right? But I think it's a really good, robust definition of what a true disciple is. And so, I don't know how practical it is because of its length. So let me offer you a shorter definition, which I think is fine to use so long as you understand the components of that longer definition. And here it is. A disciple is a person who has received Jesus as their Lord and Savior and is learning from and being empowered by Jesus to obey all that Jesus commanded. So, that's what a disciple is. So now we can understand what is discipleship. Well, discipleship is simply the process of being with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to live like Jesus. And disciple-making is simply coming alongside of another person, helping another person come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and grow in obedience to all that Jesus commanded. So we've defined what a disciple is, what discipleship is, and what disciple-making is. Now, let's consider that second question briefly. Why is disciple-making so important? There's a lot that could be said about why disciple making is so important, but um, I think a laser focused answer uh, comes from the very mouth of Jesus in John 8, 31, 32. He said uh, to people that were believing him, and remember, I've read this first, uh, I've read this first part. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. 
And then Jesus goes to say, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The reason why discipleship is so important is that learning to obey all that Jesus commanded enables a person to know the truth and to live by the truth and knowing the truth and living by the truth, which are Jesus's commands, sets a person free. And so what's at stake here is a person's freedom, our freedom and other people's freedom. That's why discipleship is so important. Um, what sort of freedom are we talking about? We're talking about true, real freedom, which is this. Living according to how you were designed to live. That's what true freedom is. The ability to actually live how you were made to live. How were we designed to live? Well, we already mentioned it. Um, the Sermon on the Mount tells us how we were meant to live. The two great commandments sum it all up of how God made us to live. And that's where true freedom lies. And loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And loving our neighbor with the same intensity by which we love ourselves. These are truths that God um, put into his creation. Yeah, these are hard truths. These are, this is reality. And we can kick and beat against reality, but truth is truth. And it's true for all people at all times, everywhere. And so if we kick against reality and if we kick against truth, we do so to our own detriment. Um, you know, it makes me think of the fact that my body needs oxygen. That is just a reality. I was designed to require oxygen to live. Now, I can kick against this, this reality, right? I can try and um, oppose that reality, but guess what? I'll do so to my own detriment. And if I deprive myself of oxygen in four minutes, I will have permanent brain damage. In six minutes, I will most likely be dead. And so we, we kick against um, reality as God defines it because um, he is the one who's behind it and defines it to our own detriment. You know, a fish, if they're out of water, are they free? I, well, in one sense, they're free from the water they were just in, but they are not free to live. They're not really experiencing true freedom to be a fish. Why? Because they are not a living according to how they were designed to live. Um, and I think it's important for us to remember, every command that Christ gives us is not to shrink our life, but to expand it. It is not to imprison us, but to liberate us. God's commands are good. They're righteous. They're life-giving commands. So, why is discipleship so important? Because we want people to be free now. And by the way, we want them to be free for all of eternity, right? Because we know that the life, life as we currently know it will end for us at some point. And then we have all of eternity. And the Bible is very clear that those who are Jesus' true disciples will be the ones that will experience the new heavens and the new earth and will be given a new body 
um, where sin will no longer uh, even be a factor. But those who are not true disciples of Jesus, they are going to be separated from God, His goodness, His new world forever. The Bible calls this place hell where these people will be cast out to. So discipleship matters not even just for this present life, but for um, all of eternity. There is nothing more important in my mind as a result than discipleship. Um, and so let me just uh, ask you two questions. Are you a true disciple of Jesus? Or are you a casual disciple of Jesus? And I think one way that you can know the difference is, I mean, even just look at if you, if you do come on Sundays, or even if you tune, on, tune in online, why do you do it? Is it because, um, you know, it's, it's something entertaining to do? Um, if you come in person, is it because you just need some human interaction in the midst of this pandemic? Is it, um, you think it's good for your kids, and so that's why you, you come? Is it, or is it because Jesus is Lord and he is your Savior, and you want to learn to obey all that Jesus commanded? To me, it's those sort of things that we can, it, it can be a test. Like, are we, are we just kind of casually, you know, looking into Jesus? Or are we a true dis disciple? And then, um, secondly, I would ask you, if you consider yourself a true disciple, and you're not making other disciples, why is that the case? Could it be that you're walking in disobedience to the Great Commission? So you really need to consider that. I know at times I've walked in disobedience to this command. But we need to, we need to look at that. And if we find that we are walking in disobedience, we need to repent. And we need to ask God to help us to get to a place where we are discipling other people. There's so much at stake. And I would say, and I'll close with this, it's good that this Making Disciples sermon series follows our sermon series on generosity, because I don't know if there's a more generous thing you can do for another person than actually disciple them, because it's gonna take your time, it's gonna take your energy, it's gonna take your emotional energy, um, it could even take some money. You know, if you're meeting with this person for coffee or for meals, um, yeah, but it's worth it. Um, let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you so much that you desire for us to experience true freedom. You, de you desire for us to live in such a way that we're able to obey your life-giving commands. Um, Lord, I pray that we that you would give us uh, even more clear understanding of what discipleship is all about as we journey through this series. And may we uh, obey your commands to make disciples. And if there's anybody listening that hasn't, through repentance and faith, handed over the keys of their life to you as Lord and Savior, and if they haven't trusted in your death for them, to pay for their sins so that they could be forgiven and reconciled to God. Lord, I pray that um, they would take that time right now 
uh, to come to you and, and ask you to be their Lord and Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray.